Show me the money. The Aging Workforce Forum Editions. Keynote speaker Dr. Deborah Whitman, CEO of AARP, visited New Zealand to speak at the event and share her insights as the leader of a 30 million member strong organisation dedicated to disrupting stereotypes about ageing. Deborah is Washington based. Um, she, I mean, we would describe her as an authority on ageing issues. She's worked for government, Congress, and policy making and domestic and international research. I suspect that is a serious understatement. Uh, but I'll let you discover that for yourself. Thanks, Diane, and thanks, David, um, and really the entire team at the Commission for Financial Capability. Um, I had the uh, great honor yesterday of hanging out with this whole team um, and was really, really impressed um, at all of the great work that you're doing, and I think there's a lot we can learn from um, both your successes and your challenges, um, and so we'll be bringing that back to the U.S. as we go. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge um, Gary Kooning from my team, who's here, um, also learning from the Kiwi Savers and other programs. Um, and I also want to say um, thanks to Jeff Perlman, who couldn't be here today except by video, and I think he was the one that passed my name along. So um, thank him for my first trip to New Zealand. Um, I've had a lovely, lovely stay. Um, I know I'm here to talk about older workers, um, but I am from Washington, and I'm sure the first question I will be asked is about our presidential election. <laughs> Don't ask that question, but I will say, as Diane did, the relevant point for today's speech with our presidentials is that Hillary Clinton is 69, Donald Trump just turned 70, uh, and Bernie Sanders is a ripe old <coughs> 75. And I think what's more interesting than that list of ages is the fact that I've not seen anything um, in the media questioning their capability, questioning their ability to function, questioning their ability to think. Um, you know, it's uh, rather remarkable, as Diane said, that we can um, put people in the greatest job um, in the country um, and not question their age, and then in so many other parts of our labor force we do. Um, but instead of politics, I'm here to talk about uh, really global aging, which affects you and us and nearly every other country on the globe, um, and really to think about what the impact on the workforce will be. Um, I'm going to ask you to think a little bit differently about older workers. Um, I'm going to ask you to not think of it as the silver tsunami or this great tragedy, um, but really as an opportunity, um, one that if we embrace properly, um, we can have profound effects on our own lives, our own culture, um, our own society. Um, and the countervailing is that if we don't, um, if we do not embrace the challenges of an aging population, if we do ignore the opportunities, um, we will set ourselves back. Um, and we can see this in some countries um, that have turned a blind eye to the, the realities um, that we've known for some time that people are living longer. I actually believe um, that given that we have the longest lifespans in human history, we need to really rethink our home, own definition of what we do across the life course. In the United States, and I assume that it's similar here, um, you educate yourself for the first third of your life, um, or first quarter of your life. You work uh, for the middle half, um, and then you retire and um, are in what economists say are in leisure in the last quarter. I don't think that model works really well if you're going to be living for 100 years. You're going to have to educate at different points. 
Um, you may want leisure in the middle of your life, not just at the end of your life. Um, you may want to take a trip or raise children. Um, and so all of our institutions that are designed around a lifespan um, that is um, was created in the early 20th century may not be the right system for the 21st. Um, but today I'm going to talk about three things that you need to know about an aging workforce. Um, first is that experienced workers can be a major asset, um, asset for employers um, and companies will need to implement the right policies in order to uh, support workers of all ages. Um, second is that older individuals can be a powerful economic uh, engine of economic growth. Um, they can help the entire country's economy, um, both consumers and as consumers and employees. And third is that ma many aging individuals want to keep working, and in fact, many need to keep working. Um, those earnings en enhance their economic security um, and also the benefit of all society. And we also know that work can be good beyond the paycheck. Um, we're understanding now the intrinsic benefits to health, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail, uh, both their mental health or physical health uh, by being active and involved. Um, so these are the three points I'm going to make. I'm going to give you the shorthand. One, um, embracing older workers is good for employers, it's good for the country, and it's good for the older workers themselves. Um, and since I know that I'm here uh, with government officials, employers, and even some people over age 40 in the crowd, probably, um, I'm hoping that this is a message that at least you'll take um, to heart in some matter. Um, and I also have a little bit of entertainment, um, and I'll be showing you a couple videos to break up my long talk. I was told if I flew this far, I didn't have to hold to the 12 minutes that they're giving everybody else. Um, I also want to start with an important caveat, which is that not everybody can work longer into their old age. Um, and this is important. I'm going to talk all about workers and encouraging people to work. I don't want to anybody to walk out of here to assume that I mean that everybody is physically able, um, everybody has the same opportunities, <clears throat> or that everybody has the same uh, type of jobs. You know, if we think about the population, there are some people um, like me who sit at a computer all day and zip to other countries occasionally, um, and then there are some people that are working with their hands on a daily basis and their bodies um, are worn by a certain age. And so I, I want to be very clear, I'm not saying that this is for everyone, but what I am saying is that we shouldn't limit people, that if they want to work, if they feel that they need to work in order to earn money, that we need to think about the policies in order to keep them engaged. So we're clear on that. I'm not saying that everybody has to work. My second caveat is that maybe I should be in the audience and you all should be talking to me. Um, because if we look at uh, the actual statistics, New Zealand is a global leader in encouraging people to work longer. In 2013, 80% of 50 to 59 year olds worked, um, and 68% um, of 60 to 64 year olds worked. This is one of the highest averages in all of the OECD countries, and um, it's increasing over time. Your effective labor force exit age has increased four years in the decade um, between 2003 and 2013. And I apologize, I'm an economist, I have to give you numbers, um, <clears throat> as well as videos, so we'll make it interesting. 
Um, as you heard a little bit about AARP, we are no longer the American Association for Retired People because a lot of our members are over 50. Um, all of our members are over 50, but not all of them are retired. Um, so we dropped that title about uh, 15 years ago. Um, and our mission is to really enhance uh, the life of all people as they age. Um, so we are a uh, small um, nonprofit, 37 million members, about the size of Canada, um, and, um, and have both advocacy, um, policy, we have benefits for our members that um, give them discounts at places like Dunkin' Donuts, which I saw at the airport you even have here, which my son was thrilled about. Um, and we understand that this is an important time period in which we really need to change the conversation completely around aging. Um, our goal is to, quote, disrupt aging, um, a tech term often heard. But what we want to do is really um, change the conversation about what it means to grow older in your life. Um, people are changing what it means to grow older. Um, but again, I think the institutions, the stereotypes, the attitudes, all also need to change. And we need to spark new solutions um, to having an older population. And so we provide tools and education to our members and our uh, individuals over age 50. Um, we also advocate for new policies, um, both at the state, national, local level, and provide programs for individuals. And so that's why you're going to hear me talk about all of those different levers. Um, we believe that uh, our goal with Disrupt Aging is also to change your own personal attitude about aging. Um, so many people look at their own um, aging as something to be ashamed of um, or something that makes them lesser. Um, we disagree fundamentally um, and loudly um, at times. Um, and, and this is pervasive. I think ageism is a thing that we do to ourselves. So many women say, oh, I can't wear a bikini after a certain age. Um, but I don't know if you saw Helen Mirren. She was looking quite nice. Um, or people make jokes about their age um, all the time. Um, people talk to older people with a voice um, like a child. Um, and I was in Rotorua this weekend, and the radio show was um, uh, was about, um, I knew I was old when, and they had people call in. Um, and the one I related to was that um, your children didn't ever know the Spice Girls words. Um, so I think you know, it's very common to talk about aging as a negative thing and stereotypical. Um, and this attitude also affects um, people's ability to hold their jobs and their value within those jobs. And so that's why not only is it uh, negative stereotypes can affect your own view of what your limits are, um, but it also can impose limits, and that's why we have to have a real open conversation about it. And we see this in um, things like job postings that say, only recent college graduates. Um, well, if you haven't been to college in 30 years, you may not think that that job is for you. Um, we also hear HR professionals say, that person just wasn't a fit for our office um, because we have a younger vibe. Um, and you'll see what that feels like um, in a few minutes, um, visually uh, and dramatically. Um, and sometimes um, companies don't do that quite overtly, um, have more subtle uh, forms of discrimination where they just assume a certain person wouldn't be interested um, in a particular job or role or learning something new. 
And so if we are going to address um, longevity, if we are going to address the workforce, um, we do need to address age discrimination. A few years ago, AARP did a survey that looked at just how widespread ageism is in the United States. Um, similar to your hands, I did not count them and do the math. Um, but we found that two-thirds of the people surveyed had personally experienced or witnessed age discrimination. Um, one out of five workers over age 45 said they were passed over for a job due to their age. Older workers who lose their job, as we know, face longer periods of unemployment. And those that do get a job after being unemployed um, often must accept serious cuts in pay. Now, these numbers are a little bit higher in the United States than a survey of New Zealand. I did my homework on the flight over. I read a lot about your country. Um, in here, um, a study said that two of five workers over age 50 said that they personally experienced age discrimination in the past five years. So that's still two of five, um, if you think about that 40% of your, of your older workers who, who are feeling this on a daily basis um, needs to be addressed. And so when people are shut out for no reason other than their age, it can be infuriating. It can be frustrating. And where's my little clicker? Um, and so I'm going to show you a little bit about what that feels like and take a commercial break. Hi. Hi. Just one question really quick. Um, you're not over 40, are you? No. Perfect. Great. Age limit? I'm not over 40. I'm over 40. We are not serving anybody over 40 today. We're trying to have a little bit younger vibe today. You are exactly what we're looking for. <laughs> if you're under 40, I'm actually not going to take your order, sir. Thank you so much for your interest, but we're just trying something different. You're just not exactly what we're looking for. I almost started crying. I was updating my resume recently, and I sort of wanted to sound experienced without sounding too old. I was like, oh, I'm experienced, but that's almost not an asset anymore. It's like I have to sound young and relevant. Older people just don't really fit into our culture. That's we actually don't think that this track is a good fit for you. I'm sorry. I was outraged. This stunt makes me want to take action to help others who might be discriminated against because of their age. So we posted that online, and a lot of people were really upset. Um, you know, they, I actually, this is a real food truck that was used, um, and I've heard that they got really bad threats after this, not understanding that it was part of a social experiment. Um, but I think it graphically depraved what a lot of people are facing on a day-to-day -day basis. So there is no sign often, um, but people feel that they're not welcome and are turned away. And, you know, you saw the brazenness in which it happened, but um, oftentimes that is, you know, the way people are treated. And so it's, it's really about fairness. So, as I said, I have three takeaways. Um, the first one is that um, companies are stupid if they're doing this. Um, companies can benefit by having older workers as part of their mix. Um, experienced workers have more institutional knowledge, what pays off. Um, when problems arise. Um, older workers have more um, maturity and stability, um, and they're excellent at teamwork. Sometimes that voice of reason is valuable within a team conversation. Um, older workers also um, can pass on critical knowledge or business relationships that they may have had for years. And company benefits, uh, companies benefit by having a workforce that actually mirrors 
um, the people that they serve. We also found, contrary to myth, in the United States at least, older workers don't cost any more um, than younger workers. Um, and in fact, because of lower turnover, um, and they stay in a job longer rather than you know, some of the workers I've had that you know, do something new every couple of years, um, may actually be cheaper over time. Um, now, I'm not saying that it's always easy to think about having a diverse workforce. Um, but what we have found is that actually having an age-friendly workforce that you embrace workers of all um, ages can actually be a source of innovation um, and it can be good for your bottom line. Um, German, German researchers studied a truck assembly plant owned by Mercedes and found that workers under 30 made more mistakes than their older workers and that actually productivity of their workers um, kept increasing every year um, up until retirement, about age 65. And our own research has reached similar conclusions. Um, a, a study by Aon Hewitt um, looked at the um, older workers and found that they were most engaged in their, uh, with their employer. And that means uh, engagement, I mean that they are you know, very active with their job, they care about the work. Um, and we know that that is a key, um, a key measure of underlying success. So these are important findings. It means that just the prejudice isn't just bad, it's actually bad for business. Um, and so all of you who are employers in the audience, you know, thinking about what you can do, I'll talk a little bit about the end, but um, there are different ways that you can attract older workers. Older workers um, care about flexibility, but not, they're not the only ones. Um, things like job sharing, part-time employment, flexible hours, phased retirement, um, many of those practices are age neutral and are being requested actually by workers in this country of all ages. The Office of Senior Citizens found that two out of three workers here in the private sector and three out of four workers in the public center, sector wanted flexibility in working hours. That said, only three to five percent actually had it. Um, the almost as popular is phased retirement, where half of all private sector workers want it, only 2% have it, and a third of all public sector workers want it, and only 4% have it. Now we're seeing innovations across the globe by individual employers, and this is you know, small businesses <coughs> like shipbuilders, um, large businesses like healthcare and the financial services, um, all think about innovative practices. And these include things like internship programs for older individuals. How many of you guys have seen the, the movie The Intern um, with Robert De Niro? About the same number of people that have felt age discrimination, so by show of hands, a few less. Um, great movie, and some companies have been doing that in order to engage uh, new workers. Other companies um, helped uh, had initiatives that help people re-enter the workforce um, after they've been out for a period of time or an extended absence, either to provide for childcare or even helping an elderly spouse or parent. Um, other companies um, have created cross-generational mentorship programs to facilitate the transfer of knowledge and understanding about a business. And so we've been highlighting these promising, promising practices both domestically and also globally as part of our AARP Best Employers International Program. We want to leverage the lessons learned from one 
organization and spread those best practices across the globe. So let me give you just a couple of the companies that we have highlighted. One is Westpac in Australia, which is a large financial group that encourages its workers to stay on the job past their traditional re retirement age. There's a city in the UK, Stoke-on-Trent, that has made older people a key focus of their economic growth. And so they retrain older individuals to work in their industries. And a century-old uh, carpentry business called Bramitz of Germany, and I'll show you the video in a second, um, uses age-diverse workforce practices to provide precision products. So these companies are recognizing the value of including their older workers. They understand the productivity relationships between older and younger workers and are doing something about it. With flexible work arrangements and mental and health support, the family keeps their workers, who range in age from 20 to 80, happy, healthy, and likely to spend the length of their careers at the carpentry. Mixed-age teams allow for plenty of collaboration and mentoring. Point number one, I think, was that older workers can help uh, uh, employers and they should be thinking about how to engage them more, which was um, beautifully shown in that video. My second point is that um, embracing the older population in the workforce can be good for your economy. Um, and I know that most economists, like myself, are fairly dismal um, and think about the sort of problems of an aging population as a cost, um, but that's assuming um, that people don't contribute anything and don't spend anything and aren't actually part of the economy at all. Now we know by 2020, for the first time in human history, there are going to be more people over age 65 on the planet than children under age 5. And once that crossover occurs, the trend will keep going for many, many years. By 2050, 16% of the population will be seniors, more than double the number of young children. And so the big question that economies have to look at is how are we going to respond? And my premise is that by responding to the demographics in a more sweeping way, we can turn our population <coughs> aging into a strength, not a weakness. We can add years to people's working lives. We can add by providing practical supports and that that will help transform our economies. But to achieve that, we need to dispel several myths here too. The first is there's a false preclusion that people um, older workers are taking the jobs away from younger workers. Um, this is simply not true. Um, in economics, we call it the lump of labor fallacy, that there's only a set number of jobs within the economy, and it's a zero-sum game. And that idea caught on in a few places. In France, um, in the 1990s, um, they were very worried about youth unemployment, um, and so it, they, or they shortened the work week um, and lowered the retirement age to try and push people out. And what happened? Their economy went deeper and deeper into recession. In fact, the more people that work, the more jobs there are. Um, and the entire pie grows. So this is really important to be thinking about. A study out of the United Kingdom found that if you could extend working people's lives for just one year, their GDP would grow by a percentage point over the, six, over the next six years. That's a dramatic increase in their overall economic stability. 
and they can give them, many nations can give themselves a big economic boost by supporting the financial vitality of their older residents. Here in New Zealand, the business report on aging um, forecasts major growth in labor force participation and earnings of older persons that will increase tax payments, consumer spending by older individuals in the coming years. In fact, we've actually seen that the older population spends more than younger consumers. They do that to pay for health care, um, to support adult children and grandchildren, um, to provide aid to elderly parents as caregivers, um, and they are an overwhelming source of donations to the nonprofit sector. A few years ago, we looked at the economic impact of people over age 50 in the United States. We called it the longevity economy. And we found that um, spending over, by people over age 50 accounts for 100 million jobs in the United States and $4.5 trillion in wages and salaries. Overall, the size of the longevity economy in the US is $7.1 trillion of economic activities. And to put that into perspective, it would be the third largest GDP in the world, um, except for the United States and China. Now again, we're not alone in that. It's um, happening here as well. Uh, as I said about the National Seniors in Australia, it's not really good reports, by the way. Um, they found similar estimates where total household spending in Australia will grow from about $4 billion in 2016 to $11 billion in 2035 for the people over age 50. And that they will increase even more as labor force participation of people over age 50 um, increase. So good for employers, good for the economy. Now I'm gonna do the good for you part. Um, we find that um, our support for older individuals is so shaky it used to be called the three-legged stool, where you had a pension, um, you had your personal savings, and you had um, our public pension, which is Social Security, um, that many people are tottering around on one leg of that stool and balancing. And that earnings is now part of the new form of retirement income. And we see this um, in our Uber drivers. Um, we see this in um, people who are engaged in volunteerism um, as well for non-paid work, that people want to be engaged and find ways um, to continue to be productive. Just a quarter century ago, just one in 10 Americans planned to stay in the workforce beyond age 65. Today, 40% expect to continue to work. And that's being reflected in real behavior. Um, the labor force participation at older ages has shot up in the US. It's gained almost 10 percentage points from the 1990s. And as I said, it's happening here as well. The employment rate of workers has increased sharply in the last decade and faster rate here in New Zealand than in most OECD countries. So you are doing something right. That said, if we'd all solved this, then I wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be having this conversation. So there's simply more to do. We know that many people have a variety of reasons why they want to continue work. Some 
enjoy their jobs. Some want to stay socially connected by their colleagues. Other people, it's part of their identity. And some actually need the money to survive. Now, I want to be clear, as I was before, that not everybody has to work, um, that not all work is for pay. Uh, we have a huge amount of volunteering um, that keeps people active and engaged in the United States um, and also helps to grow the economy, helps to keep um, our communities thriving, helps our nonprofit sectors. And so paid or unpaid, uh, for the rest of my talk about why it's good for people, um, is not necessarily all economic benefit. That said, um, we know that um, the economic benefit is real for those that do continue to work. Every year you delay claiming benefits, um, the more you have in assets. Um, and we're also seeing more and more people in older age start their own business and be more successful as entrepreneurs. Finally, we're finding research that shows um, that continued engagement is good for your health. Um, Oregon State said that people who retired one year past age 65 had an 11% lower risk of death than those that didn't. So good for the economy, good for workers. But let me talk just briefly about what needs to happen and I'll wrap it up with the last video. Um, we all have a role to play, all of the people here in the room, all of the people within our society. And importantly from the public sector, um, countries need to think about ways to encourage savings and that's why we're here studying the Kiwi Saver program and others to help people have choices about whether they'll stay in the workforce for pay or um, continue to be engaged um, for volunteering and other non-paid. Um, governments need to think about and enforce their laws against age discrimination. Um, and we all need to confront our ageist attitudes wherever we encounter them. Governments need to think about unemployment and job retraining to ensure that older workers who lose their jobs get the skills and the help that they need to find new ones. On the private sector, companies need to make sure that older individuals are treated fairly in the workforce. That means, in, that includes getting the opportunities to learn, to grow. We need to look at our recruitment strategies to make sure that how we're describing availabilities are not ageist. And we need to think about our human resources policies. As you could see, there's a great demand for people who want flexibility and not just older people. So these are what I wanted to highlight. Um, I think the aging workforce is an opportunity. If done right, um, we can help people's own view of what their possibilities are as they age. We can change our society and grow our economy. We can keep people feeling valued and valuable. And these workers can be a major, major asset. The real challenge is our perceived notions and conventional wisdom about what it means to be older and what your capacity is. The challenge is really to our imagination. We have to rethink our labor force and people's views of working lives in a fresh way. We need to take away stereotypes that are deeply embedded in our culture and even in ourselves. 
Um, but I really believe that we don't have much of a choice. The realities of an aging population are with us whether we deny it, whether we discriminate it or not. And, but everybody can have the opportunity to embrace their longer lives and have the value of their experience. And so I hope I've changed your view a little bit and thought a little bit more about aging. I'm going to end with one final uh, video, thinking about what, um, where we tried to get millennials to think about what is old. Just tell us your first name and your age. My real age? <laughs> My name is Paolo. I'm 25 years old. My name is Daniela, and I'm 19. 24. 35. 31. 33. I'm 26 years old. What age do you consider to be old? Late 40s. Maybe 50? Um, I feel like 30 is a new 20, so I'd say like 40 is old. At my age, I feel like I did when I was in my 20s. There's so many things that I still want to do. There's so many things that I can do. As long as I'm growing and learning, then age doesn't matter. When people start stopping, that's when they start getting old. AARP's videos, which we have included as audio excerpts here, can be found at the links accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.